Trinity Park Church, good morning. Good to see everyone. I'm Joe. <laughs> I can't hear you, but I could hear Kisa. Thank you. <laughs> good to see everyone this morning. If you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as we draw our hearts before the Lord in worship. I just want to invite you this morning as we um, sing aloud together, um, you'll find uh, all the words, the bulletin and the order of service, um, both, in, both in the church website as well as on the church app. So if you'd like to take a look now, it'd be good to open that up so we can sing before the Lord together. And this morning, we're going to join with the psalmist who has given many reasons to worship God. So just as we prepare our hearts in worship, I just want to invite you not to allow this moment to pass you by. Let's quiet our minds and quiet our hearts. Let's try to set aside all the things that may be distracting us this week, this month, and even today um, as we look to God's word. Our call to worship is Psalm 95, and we find many reasons to worship the Lord our God in these seven verses. It is an honor for us to come before our creator in worship. So hear these words, Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. God be praised. Would you pray with me now? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks this morning. God, you are a great God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you are above all other gods. Heavenly Father, you are the rock of our salvation, and so we come now acknowledging that we are created beings who were designed to give you all the glory. And so, Lord, we praise you today that Christ has died so that we might become the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. Would you help us now to bow down and to worship you fully? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So brothers and sisters, let's lift our voices now as we sing in Christ alone, our cornerstone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and
body lay. There in the ground, his body of the finished work of Jesus Christ, for it is in Christ that we stand. I also praise you this morning, Lord, that when we have sin and sufferings, that we cannot carry ourselves, that we can lay them at the foot of the cross, knowing that there we find forgiveness in you. Let's be reminded of these words in Romans 5, verse 8. It says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a good reason for us to sing this morning.
regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Oh, come to to the altar of Jesus Christ. As we come to this time of confession, I want you to recognize that you don't get forgiven of your sins at the end of saying this confession of faith. If you're a Christian, you're already forgiven of your sins. And when we confess our sin, what we're doing is we're responding to the gospel. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. In fact, the sincerity of your repentance in this moment does not impact the finished work of Christ on your behalf. How much you mean these words as you say them does not impact the atonement that Christ has already offered for the forgiveness of your sins. That is already done and complete. And so as you confess your sins, we should be sincere in view of what Christ has already done for us. And that makes a huge difference. So the pressure is not on you right now to get this perfectly right in your heart. Christ has already made you right with God. Therefore, you can confess your sin right now before him 
according to what we have here written down for us. The first paragraph describes ways we need God to forgive us. At the end of that paragraph, I'm going to pause for just a minute. And then the second paragraph assures us of what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. Please read this out loud with me. Loving Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Although we have all received your lavish love and unfailing forgiveness, we find it very hard to love each other well. Our fallen nature draws us to an endless fascination with ourselves and to a strong tendency to despise people who are different or don't agree with us. We long to be praised and admired. When our desires are thwarted, we withdraw our affection from those who disappoint us. I'm gonna pause there for a minute, reflect on those words you've just confessed, see what may be true of you and give that over to the Lord and to his mercy for you. Continue on, say this out loud with me, so I can, maybe so I can hear you, all right? Thank you, Jesus, for discarding our sins, for burying them in the deepest sea, for refusing to remember our sin and hold it against us. You lived a perfect life of perfect goodness for us and loved others well, yet you were mocked, beaten, spat upon, and despised. In all of this, you prayed for the forgiveness of the ones who abused you most. Holy Spirit, we desperately need your help. Please show us when our thoughts are sinful and help us repent of them and accept the responsibility for them. Help us to run to the cross to be immersed in your forgiveness and love so that we can love and forgive others with hearts that are melted with gratitude. Amen. Take a few more moments and ponder what Christ has done for you and then I'll assure us of God's pardoning grace for us. Amen. Well, the assurance of pardoning grace this morning is an interesting one. And normally when we have an assurance of grace, we reflect back on what Christ has already done in his first coming. In this assurance of pardoning grace, we are pondering the future grace of God for us. We're entering into Advent season. And Advent is all about expectation. It's about the expectation that Christ will come and set the world to rights, that he'll complete what he has already accomplished in his first coming. And he will ultimately save us from all of the brokenness of this world. So this assurance of pardoning grace focuses on the future grace that we will receive in Christ and his second coming. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Amen. Well, today we have our first Advent reading. It's kind of fun to do this outdoors. Uh, we have Jonathan and Rachel Gardner who are going to light the first Advent candle for us.
Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will find the light of life. We light this candle as a sign of the coming light of Christ. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, nice. Come, Lord Jesus, our light and our salvation. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. Let's continue our time of worship. We're going to sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. This is the time we've set aside uh, to worship God through giving. So you're welcome to give online, and we invite you to stand now as we sing together. Good morning. My name is Andy Yu. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Park Church. Um, this morning, I want to highlight a bit about relationship with uh, World Relief. Now, many of you have heard of our work with World Relief, and this goes way back to 2014 um, with the relationship that we have with them. And since then, we have helped resettle many refugees, um, families from different parts of the world. And I can um, share one of the fondest memory we have as a church in uh, helping 
we settle refugees. Um, one of the fondest memories we have is the relationship that we're able to build with some of these families. Now, we don't get to build with all families, but one particular family come to mind, which is a family from Syria, um, Sulaf, who is the mom, a widow, and her three kids, Judy, um, Khaled, and Malas. Um, they all came from Syria to carry, and we helped resettle them. And one of the fondest memories we have with them is just the relationship we were able to come alongside them to only not only help resettle them, but also to be able to continue to build into them, to pour into them. You know, I can think about um, personally for me, this has been a great relationship with them because, you know, right now we, we still have an ongoing relationship with them. And just um, a year ago, I was invited to uh, Khalid's graduation from Kerry High School. And so that was a great privilege for me to be able to be connected to this family. And so as such, I think um, that this is such a great, important relationship that we have with, with these refugees. But at the same time, this can only be done through the work of World Relief. And so we want to highlight our work with them. And I'm also thankful that they um, do also appreciate us as a church in coming alongside them. And I've received an, a, a video from uh, Adam Clark, who is the president, um, director, sorry, of World Relief in Durham. And he had sent us a thank you video um, for us as a church coming alongside them. And I want to share this video with you. Um, and this is going to be a little awkward. So if you have your phones, you know, if you are watching, if you are already, um, how do you say it, um, reading the uh, bulletins to your phone, would you switch to either a Facebook or a YouTube page where you can actually watch the video on live stream? Okay, so this will be an awkward two minutes of silence for most of you, but if you want, you can watch it on our live stream, or if not, you can watch it later too. All right, so um, go ahead and, and play the video, and after this, Corey's gonna come and pray. Hey y'all, Adam Clark here from World Relief. Your church has been a part of our ministry, our shared ministry, serving refugees and immigrants together over the past few years. Whether some of you have volunteered and given your time and befriended a new family uh, coming to the area, whether your church has donated some of its local missions budget, uh, whether you all have given your old furniture to a family in need that is coming to the United States and have helped furnish their new home. Uh, whatever it is, I wanna thank you. I'm here just to thank you for being a partner in ministry, um, a part of the body of Christ that serves next to us, uh, alongside of us. Uh, I wanna thank your pastors for their leadership. It takes a lot to be a congregation uh, that's committed to this kind of ministry, serving the stranger, and we're just grateful. It, it, we need churches uh, to be a part of this ministry for it to work, and you are one of those that makes this happen here in the Triangle. Um, I want to thank you for the ways that your congregation will be joining us as um, more and more refugees in the coming months and years come to the United States. Um, I think it's important that, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus are there to greet them and to walk beside them when they come to the United States. Um, Many of our clients are fleeing life-threatening violence. They've been persecuted for their faith. Um, they're fleeing war. 
they are survivors of ethnic cleansing and genocide. Uh, they are asylum seekers. There are a lot of reasons why our clients come to World Relief. Uh, but you all send a consistent message to all of them, regardless of their circumstances, of what the love of God looks like. When you show up in their lives, when you welcome the stranger and serve them, uh, the way the scripture calls us to. And I know that um, just speaking on a personal level, I think our community has heard the gospel. And those who don't believe don't uh, lack belief because they haven't heard the gospel before. They haven't seen the gospel. And when you step up to love the stranger, you're speaking the language of the gospel in a way that I think the community that may not believe in Christ yet can understand. And it's beautiful. And I want to thank you for being part of this work and for supporting us, whether financially or through your time or through your donated goods. You help make this happen, and you're an awesome church. So hope you'll continue to be a partner with us um, in the months to come and the years to come. And uh, just thank you again. All right. Well, before COVID, I used to forbid my children from ever looking at their phones in worship, and now that's become uh, normal for us. So it's, it's kind of weird, but uh, we're grateful, so grateful to partner with World Relief. And let's go before the Lord together in prayer. Lord God, um, we are grateful for this ministry, World Relief. We're grateful for the relationships we've been able to form, the way we've been able to serve and love the stranger and the war-torn, those who are subject to all kinds of horrors in their home country, and we're grateful that we've been able to love quite a number of families. Uh, even most recently from Guatemala, uh, we are able to receive a family this year. We're grateful for that. Lord, uh, we recognize that even as we serve and love refugees here, we recognize that Jesus, you in fact, um, were a refugee and as we celebrate Advent and we reflect on your birth, Lord, we uh, recognize that someone took you in and someone loved you and Mary and Joseph in Egypt when you fled uh, Herod's murderous threats. And so we, we think about you and what you must have been through. And we also recognize our own place in this story, that we ourselves uh, were, were lost uh, we were lost in darkness. We were lost in a distant country, Lord, and we needed you to come, and we needed you to rescue us. I reflect on Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom, the son whom he loves and whom we have redemption of sin. So God, we, we recognize still we are weary travelers in this world, that we are not home yet, that we are subject to many difficulties in this life. Lord, we're thankful that you walk with us and you befriend us and love us and welcome us in continually. And your promise is to lead us, not to this country, though this is a great country that we have the opportunity to live in, but you're leading us to your better country, a place where there is no pandemic, a place where there is no disease, there's no war, a place where there is no conflict, a place where there are no elections, a place where there is no wondering about transitions of power, but where you are king. 
and where we can rest under your righteous, beautiful rule. And we look forward to that day and long for that day. And Lord, we pray at Trinity Park Church, we would always be a church that is about the gospel of Jesus Christ first and foremost. Lord, the only way to transition from this world into the next is through a relationship with you, is through receiving your grace purchased for us on the cross. I pray that we would be a church that doesn't look to cultural movements for change. We would be a church that doesn't look to unbiblical tradition for change. We'd be a church that believes that change only happens through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we would believe that for our church, that the pathway to growth, the pathway to transformation is through Christ alone, through nothing else, that in the midst of this moment in our world and in our nation, when there are so many voices screaming out for our attention, that we would find ourselves locked in on the voice of the one, the voice of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we pray that we would take that gospel, we would take it to neighbors and nations, that we would be a people who love our neighbor, that we would love our neighbor in real relationships, that we would actually know who our neighbors are, the people who live next to us, the people who work next to us, the people who are sitting next to us in this church. Lord God, I pray that we would know and love our neighbors and that we would be people who are passionate to share the good news of grace with them, that we would show them the gospel in word and in deed. I pray that we would continue to be a church that is locked in on what it means to be a redemptive community, that we can be a place where when you come in here, Though you are embattled in the world, though there is much pressure to perform, that in this church we would be a place where you can take the mask off, where you can be broken, where you can be known, you can be loved, a place where you can be different, a place where you can be tired and exhausted, a place where you can be weary, a place where you can be hopeful, that we would love one another as you have loved us. You take us in regardless of our performance, regardless of how we're doing on a given day, how perfect we get our words. You love us. Pray that we be a community that is redemptive. We pray that we would continue to be a church that is passionate about whole life discipleship, that we would be a people who love you, and because we love you, there is no area of our lives that we mark off as being ours and not yours, that every facet of our existence would be shaped by you, Lord Jesus, that that would impact the way that we love each other, that would impact our marriages, our, the way we raise our children, the way we work, the way we exist in our society, the way we handle our money. Lord, that literally everything would be transformed as we look in Acts at your first church, that there was a totally new pattern of life and existence. I pray that we would be a church where others could say that they continue to be transformed in ways that are uncommon, even unfound in the world around us. Make us a thankful and joyful people today on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. Help us to look up from 
the muck and the mire of this world and all that we're traveling through and help us to be able to see you glorious and good, loving us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today for Dan Baker and the loss of his sister. I pray for Beth Peterson, the loss of her mother. Lord, it's especially hard to lose a family member. It's always hard, and even now in 2020, it's just one more blow. And so we pray for them that you would fasten your gospel on their hearts, encourage them. May they be encouraged in the way that you love them and the way that our church loves them. Lord, may they they see your goodness and your grace even in the midst of this very challenging moment. Lord, we also pray for the church planters we support here in the Triangle for Russell McCutcheon, even as they worship right now simultaneously in Nightdale. We pray for Tim Inman as they worship simultaneously in Dunn. Bless those men and their churches as they're just getting off the ground in the midst of COVID. Lord, we also pray for the nation of Belarus. We pray that President Lukashenko would step down. We pray that he would listen to the cries of the people. We pray particularly for our missionaries there, our pastor we support, Slava Viazovsky. We pray for he and his family. We pray that they will be able to experience the religious freedom that we experience. And we pray that you would protect people from police brutality in that country. We pray for the nation of China and for the church there. As I received an email this morning, Pastor Shibo and his wife Wang Xiaofei, it's a partnering church that uh, yesterday uh, had to lock their doors because the police were coming in and they had to negotiate through the peephole in their church door whether or not they could worship. Or These are things we don't have to deal with in this country. We pray for the, the church in China. We pray that this church, which is a vibrant gospel church, would continue to be able to worship you together. We also pray for Pastor Victor and his congregation in northern China as he regularly has to meet with public security bureau officials. We also pray for Pastor Paul in uh, southwest China, who he carries a bag with him regularly because he never knows when he's going to have to go to prison. Lord, we pray for these pastors and their churches, and we would also recognize in our suffering here in America all the, the, that we have to enjoy and benefit from, and we pray that we would channel our prayers and efforts into praying for the global church when we can. We also pray for Ali Sewell and his church outside of Edinburgh and Haddington, Scotland. We pray for them as they have been on lockdown and they have been unable to meet as a church for months and months and they've been limited only to online engagement. Lord, uh, we pray for this church that it is growing even so in the midst of COVID. We pray for them. Lord God, we thank you that as Colossians 1.6 says that all around the world, your gospel is bearing fruit and is growing just as it is among us since we heard of God's grace in all of its truth. The fact is, Lord, we know that you are bearing fruit, even in the midst of what we consider to be a time where we could, we could be tempted to think that there is not anything good coming from this. Lord, we know your promises are good. Your promises are true, and they are amen in Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would stand with our brothers and sisters and stand together, centered both feet on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
A reading from John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. From John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, John, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. From Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. I'm Corey. I forgot to introduce myself the first time. Corey Jackson. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Park Church. One of the things I love to do is run. Uh, When I'm feeling well uh, and Uh, That doesn't always happen now that I'm getting older. When I'm feeling well, I'll run four to six days a week. And one of my favorite trails to run on is the trail that goes into Umstead State Park, just right up the street from Lake Crabtree. It's a beautiful trail. Last fall, I was running on that trail, and it was after a number of days of rain. And when you're a runner and there's like three or four straight days of rain in a row, it's tough. I mean, you get kind of angsty. You're ready to go out and run. And The weather hadn't already totally cleared up yet. It was still drizzling a little bit when I started, but the weather report looked good. And so I started out on the run, and the trail was really muddy. It was kind of nasty. It had rained a lot, and the trail had been washed out quite a bit. And as I was running out, when you run on this trail, you're running uphill slightly. And I was kind of running into the mist and the rain. It was kind of nasty, but I was still happy to get out on the trail. As I got to the top of the trail, where you get close to the airport here, you turn around, at least I turn around there if you're running about four miles, and you turn around and you run back. And as you run back down the hill, it's this beautiful run. And as I was running down, the sun came out and the rain cleared out. And I noticed above me on the trail, it was the fall last year, and the leaves were changing. It was this beautiful canopy of red and orange and yellow, and the sun was shining through. And it was this glorious, amazing trail. And suddenly, the same trail that I was on, that when I was running out, all I could think about was, I'm glad to be running, but it's muddy and nasty and raining. As I was running back down the same trail, I could look up and see just how beautiful the same surroundings were, this, this canopy over my head. And, and as I reflected on that, that's really become a metaphor for me right now as I walk through 2020. You know, it's it's... So common for us as we're running the race that's marked out for us that our head is down 
and we're slogging through and we're just looking at the mud under our feet. It's been a hard year. It's easy to think that the real story of this year, all that's really going on is we're slogging through. But then we have moments, and, and we tried to do this as a family and we're somewhat successful for Thanksgiving, where you step back and you say, okay, what is God doing? What is God doing? And you can see that even in the midst of this moment, there's this canopy over our heads that God hasn't changed. He's good. He's still beautiful. He's still glorious. He's still taking care of us. The temptation for us in 2020 is to get bogged down. It's to look at this year through the lens of depression, anxiety, and loss. And those are real emotions. It has been hard. It has been hard for us. Hard for us individually. Hard for us as a church community. It's been hard. But yet the real story, the real narrative of what God is doing is not just that it's, we're slogging through the mud. The, the true story of what God is doing, the real story is that God is still redeeming. The, the, the meta-narrative of the gospel is still true. God still created the world perfect. He created this world to be different than it is right now, but yet because of sin, this world is chaotic and it is broken. And we face pandemics. We face uncertainty. It's been very hard and very challenging for us. But Christ has come. Christ has come and he has redeemed the world. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Christ, what Christ has done for us. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we're going to look at what Christ did for us. It may be a little distracting if you're here in person. We've got the Cracker Factory just jamming out crackers over there. Who knew that Cracker Factories were so loud before you tried to have worship next door, right? But if we can focus in, what I want to draw your attention to is to Jesus who loved us to the end. You know, in this year, one of the added pressures we can face is, okay, this year is so hard, and we, we have a lot of really responsible people in our congregation, and we all sincerely want to follow Jesus, and that's good. We should want to follow Jesus. And we feel added pressure in this moment because it is truly hard. The, the number of complexities facing us, the relational difficulties facing us, we have this added pressure of wanting to get it right, not squandering this opportunity, walking through suffering well, and that's a good desire. But in the midst of this moment, it's really important to remember that how God treats you and how God feels toward you and his love for you is not contingent on your obedience to him. It's not contingent on your response to him. It's not contingent on how well you do 2020. I've talked to a lot of people. We feel the added pressure, the added pressure of, of wanting to live in such a way that, that God would love us, that God would um, that God would be pleased with us. And of course we want God to be pleased with us and live in such a way. But it's an added burden of actually wanting to like somehow merit God's favor in the midst of this. And, and we need to let that go. We need to leave that behind because we already have all of the favor that we could ever have from the Lord. So we're going to look at this morning simply who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what he promises to continue to do for us in the midst of this year and why that matters so much right now. The first point this morning is this. 
Jesus loves us not part way, but to the end. He loves us not just part of the way, but to the end. John Bunyan, he's a famous author, obviously wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He also wrote this. Love in Christ decays not, nor can it be tempted so to do by anything that happens or that shall happen to the object on which he has fixed his love. Now, that's a, that may be hard for you to understand. Let me put it in 2020 layman's terms for you. Christ's love for you cannot change or will not change based on anything that has happened to you, that will happen to you, or that is happening to you right now. Christ's love for you is fixed on you regardless of anything that could possibly happen to you if you are in him. Today we're going to start by looking at John 13, 1. And here this verse says, as Kisa read, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus had already, who had, what had he done? He had already loved these 12 disciples who were, these guys really messed up a lot. Okay, these guys were difficult to have as your disciples. He had already been persecuted by many enemies. He had many enemies. And these people were all coming at him. And he still loved his enemies. He had many people who had come to him. Outsiders, people who didn't think they were outcasts. They were, they were on the fringes. And he had loved them. But yet that still was not enough. And John knew personally that it was not enough. In this moment in John 13... This is the the Last Supper. This is the Thursday night, the day before Jesus died on the cross. And John says, then he loved them to the end. John is famous for writing some amazing things about Jesus. He said that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. He said that anyone who believes in God will become a child of God. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son So whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John wrote all these things about Jesus. But John knew that if Jesus didn't die on the cross, and he wasn't raised from the dead, then those were just really nice, beautiful words, inspiring words to be said about Jesus. John knew, reflecting back on that moment of John 13, that he needed Jesus not just to wash his feet, which Jesus began to do, when he began to show them the full extent of his love, he needed Jesus, and the disciples needed Jesus, and we need Jesus not just to wash our feet. We need Jesus to show us the full extent of his love. We needed him to wash our our dirty souls, not just our dirty feet, our dirty souls with his blood. There's a song by 21 Pilots called Heavy Dirty Soul. Can you save my heavy dirty soul. And we all feel that heavy dirtiness sometimes. The reality is if Jesus doesn't go all the way, if he only goes partway, if he doesn't show us the full extent of his love, we still have a heavy, dirty soul. You still have to walk through 2020 with a heavy, dirty soul, hoping that somehow your good works and how you respond in this moment will merit God's favor so that he will forgive you. That would be the burden if you don't have Christ. And John knew that. John knew that everything he'd written, he wrote, he says in John 20, 31, he writes his gospel so that 
we would believe in Jesus. And in particular, he wants us to believe in Jesus, not just generally, not just as a loving person who welcomed in broken people, as cool and as inspiring as that would be, what we needed Jesus to do in order to make what he did in the gospel transcend it throughout time is to die on the cross. We needed him to do that. And Jesus had to go the full distance. He had to go the full way. We need our heavy, dirty souls washed by Jesus. A book was recommended to me recently by Rebecca Reynolds, who writes for Andrew Peterson's website. And the book is called Courage, Dear Heart, Letters to a Weary World. I confess I just bought the book. I can't endorse everything written in it. I haven't read the whole thing. I've just read the first chapter, okay? So there you go. But in the first chapter, Rebecca Reynolds writes, she used to work for a mega church, and she was in charge of uh, beautifying the worship space so it would be an, like an awesome place to come and worship, one of, one of those kind of churches. Right now we have two poinsettias in 2020. That's what we've done this year. That's all we can pull off. Um, but in this, and this is a, a Good Friday Easter service she was preparing for, and she had people from this mega church, this big congregation, submit one word each that described the brokenness of their particular life and why they needed Jesus to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. And people emailed her in these one-word responses to describe their brokenness and why they needed Christ. Some of those words were abused, abandoned, depressed, misfit, fearful, disillusioned, skeptical. The list went on and on. And she crafted a way to beautifully display these words in, in front of the congregation on Good Friday. And she got to the point where she finally finished 2,000 words and she admitted that her own soul was so overwhelmed by reading these words. And she began to reflect on whether or not this would be a good thing for the congregation. To see all of these words, these one words describing the brokenness of every life and every story. And of course, we can't encapsulate our life and our story into one word while we need Christ. And she began in her own heart to recoil from the idea of putting these words up. But she, she talked with the, the church leadership and they decided to do it anyway. And as they displayed these words, people just one by one after the service, after the Good Friday service were moved and they came up and they prayed and they embraced and they praised God for his death on the cross. Now the amazing thing about that story is the reality is we recoil from brokenness. When we see 2,000 words, when we see even a little bit of brokenness, our human tendency is to want to pull back. When we get to the edge of needing to make that decision, we're going to have to love someone and enter in, and we start to see just how messy that's going to be. We're tempted to pull back. I want you to think about what Christ was doing on this night, on Thursday night before he died, as he washed the feet of the disciples, and he began to show them the full extent of his love. Just think about what the full extent of his love looked like. Because Jesus didn't just know about 2,000 one-word answers to describe the brokenness of this world, to describe the brokenness of his people. Jesus knew 
everything. He saw it all, far more than 2,000 words. An infinity of sin, an ocean of it, that he was about to take the plunge. He was walking to the edge of the cliff, knowing full well what it would mean to jump off and to be immersed in the sins of his people. And he got to the edge, and he had to make that decision. But Jesus didn't recoil from the cross. Even though he saw it, he jumped. He took the plunge, and he went full. And he didn't love us partway. He didn't get to Thursday night. He didn't get to the edge of the cliff and say, you know what? It's too much. It's too much. And he, you know what? He had the right to not take that jump. Do you realize this? I mean, Jesus was sinless. He was the second, he is the second person of the Trinity. He did not have to take that jump. But he decided to do that for you and me. I want to take it even a step further. Jesus didn't recoil from the cross even though he had been sinned against personally. It wasn't just sin out there depersonalized from himself. Jesus had been sinned against personally. These sins he was dying for were sins that were committed against him. He had been personally hurt by the sins that he was dying for. Dane Ortland says this in Gentle and Lowly. In going to the cross, Jesus did not retain something for himself the way we tend to do when we seek to love others sacrificially. He does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit, but Jesus loves to the end. Now that is amazing. So he's not just seeing all of the sin for what it is. He's actually feeling the impact of being betrayed, of being forsaken, of being misunderstood. He's feeling all of that sin done personally to him, and he still goes to the cross, dying all the way to the end for the very people who hurt him the most. This is love like no one has ever seen. He didn't love partway. He didn't get to Thursday night and say, I'm done. That was good enough. He went all the way to Friday, all the way to the cross, all the way pushing forward into the dirty pain of sin. He did not recoil, but loved us to the end. So the first thing he did is he didn't just go partway. He went all the way, not just partway, but all the way to the end. And then... How did he do that? He had to die, this is the second point, by dying on the cross and finishing our redemption. So we're going to camp out on the cross for just a minute. Because why? Because in 2020, if you have any, any temptation as a Christian, and I still have this temptation, to believe that I can strengthen just a little bit. I can strengthen through my own obedience and my own response to suffering. I can strengthen God's love for me just a little bit. I can secure it a little bit more if I just do a little better as a pastor, as a leader, as a father, as a husband. That if I am obedient, then God might love me a little bit more. That I might be able to secure God's love to me just a slight, tiny bit, a little bit more. 
And the danger about that, the, the dirty, deadly danger of living that way is you can't live in the freedom of the gospel because there's still a little bit, there's still a tiny little bit that you can do to set aside the grace of God, to nullify the grace of God, and strengthen the love of God for you on your own merit. And that is a dangerous path because you might just say, oh, I just do that every now and then. But actually, maybe you don't. Maybe actually, a huge part of the way that you relate to God is that you actually believe, a big part of you, that to the degree to which you are obedient to God is the degree to which God correspondingly loves you. And in a time like 2020, when you're already facing enough pressure, you don't need the added pressure of securing God's love to you. In fact, if you can hold fast, if you can fasten and you can believe the gospel that the, the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the assurance of your salvation is already fastened to you completely, as much as it ever can be, you cannot do anything to make God love you more or love you less. Nothing. Now, that's hard for us to believe because we've all had human fathers and mothers who, no matter how wonderful they were, they're not perfect. And to some degree, their response to you was contingent on your response back to them. We've never had a human parent, none of you have ever had a human parent whose love for you was so fixed and so secure and so unswerving and so unbendable that it didn't matter how you responded back to them. They loved you the same exactly all the way. So we need to look at the cross because on the cross, what we see is what it takes to merit God's love. What we see to merit God's forgiveness. What we see is what it takes to merit salvation. Because only one person has ever done it. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross. He performs for us. He goes all the way so we can set aside our own personal performance. What I want to camp out on for, with you is John 19.30 when Jesus says, It is finished. I want to ask you the question, What was finished? What was finished at the end of John 19.30? What got done? What got accomplished? What box got checked off for God, the Father, when Jesus said it is finished? Well, the first thing that got finished is the bearing of the burden of sin got finished. It was finished. It is finished. We find in Isaiah 53.6 that the Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. That is, all of us, if you have trusted in Christ, the iniquity of us all, fully, burden has been born, all of it, all the sin, whatever you're thinking about right now, and you're wondering, even that sin? Yes, even that sin. Maybe you're thinking, every single time I committed that sin, I st- all of that got taken care of? Yes. All of the iniquity of your life and of the church, universal, got laid on Christ. And what an unbearable weight to come down on a single soul. I want you to think about this. This soul of Jesus Christ that knew no sin. So he goes from not knowing sin, zero sin, 
we, this is when we get into the realm of mystery. We can't, really con- we can't really fathom what it was like for Jesus to go from not having any sin to having all of the sin of all of the church, of all of time, laid on him. What an unbearable weight to put on a soul, a human soul. What was that like for Jesus to bear the weight of the sin? Another author put it this way. He says, it's speculation, but for myself, I cannot believe it was physical extremity that killed Christ. What is physical torture compared to the full weight of centuries of cumulative wrath absorption? That mountain of piled up horrors. How did Jesus even retain sanity psychologically in absorbing the sum total penalty for every lustful thought and deed coming from the hearts of God's people, and that is only one sin among many. Perhaps it was sheer despair that broke Jesus down into death. You think about that. Think about just lust. All of the lust of all of the church, of all of time, being put on him and what that must have done to his soul. And he bore that. He bore that iniquity so that by at the end of John 19.30, his iniquity bearing and the iniquity bearing of the church would be finished. Jesus didn't go through that so that you could carry around all of your sins and try to pay for them over time. Why would he do that to himself? He did it so you could be free of the burden so that at the end of John 19.30, it is finished means just that. The second thing that got finished in John 19.30 is Jesus' separation from his Father is finished. This is one of the other anguishing aspects of the cross for Jesus is that you have to imagine, again, we're now in the realm of mystery again, but you have a son who had a relationship with his Father where there was complete and total harmony total love, never a moment of brokenness, unity and and love like no one we have never known. For all of eternity, the Father and the Son enjoyed this unbreakable bond of perfection and love and glory together. And then in this moment, as the great hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us says, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. You see, when the, when the Son took on the burdens and the iniquity of the, of the church for all of time, the Father, because the Father was holy, in this moment the Father had to turn away from the Son. The Father had to leave the Son alone. The Son went into exile to pay for the sins of the people. And the father could not go there with him in that moment because the father had to retain his holiness as the son took on all the sin of the world. And there was a brokenness of the relationship between the father and the son. And Jesus endured this so that at the end of John 19.30, that separation between the father and son could be finished. That that could just be a moment in time that as the Son pays for the sins of all of God's people of all of time, 
that that would be over at the end of John 19.30, and then they could resume a relationship with one another. And Jesus died for us so that we will never have to experience that separation from our Father in heaven. Jesus was exiled. Jesus was, was pushed away. He bore the iniquity and bore the penalty for sin so that we will never have to be separated from our Father. So that as you go through 2020, you'll never have to wonder, is my relationship with God broken in such a way that I can't experience fellowship with God? It's not possible because Christ has already suffered and been separated from his Father for you and for me. So separation from the Father was finished by the end of John 19.30. The last thing I'll talk about this morning that was finished at the end of John 19.30 is purchasing our salvation is finished. It is finished means that our salvation is accomplished by the end of verse 30. What I mean is this, very specifically. There is nothing else that you can do or anyone can do, or that you must do, or that you should have already done, or that you need to be doing right now, in order for you to be saved. There's nothing. There's not a single thing. Sorry, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to blow out the advent candle. I'm afraid it's going to catch the, the chair on fire. Sorry. Thankfully, those are just symbolic candles. All right. But that was getting kind of low. All right. Uh, we had a fire last year on Christmas Eve, I think it was, so we didn't want to do that again. Uh, a minor, a little fire. Um, but you don't need to do anything because Christ has already done everything for you. You need to do nothing to merit your own salvation. All you need to do, and it's not a work per se, it's just simply resting and trusting in the finished work of Christ. On the cross, you just need to trust him. Trust that the gospel's true, that he really did bear your sin. He really did pay the penalty. He really did absorb the wrath of the Father. He really was broken down on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made righteous, redeemed, have new life, so that you can be sure of it every day of your life. Where is grace found? It is found in Christ alone. You cannot add anything to Christ and get grace. You only must have Christ to get grace. Where is forgiveness found? It's found in Christ alone, which means forgiveness is not found in your repentance. It's not found in the strength of your repentance. I said this earlier. It's not found in how sincerely you repent and how many times you do it how thoroughly you understand how broken you are, how deeply you go into the depths of knowing your own depravity. None of that contributes to the work Jesus did. Now, we should try to understand our sin, but not so that God will love us, but because he already has loved us. Where is assurance of salvation found? It's found in Christ alone. It's not found in you holding on to Christ it's found in him holding on to you. There's a huge difference. We feel like we have to hold on to Christ in order to have assurance, all the while Christ and his mighty hands are holding on to us. You can read about that in John 6, 37 through 44 if you want to read more. 
the reality is if you are a Christian, then the pressure is off. How many of you in this last week would say, I feel like the pressure is off? I mean, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but I think if I actually was asking for one, I wouldn't get many hands. We don't live as if the pressure is off. I don't live as if the pressure is off. Oftentimes, I feel like I've got to still get it right in order to be in God's good graces, but the reality is, for the Christian, the pressure is off. The pressure is on the Lord, and as we rest in the gospel, we can continue to be obedient to him. If you're a sinner, if you're a sinner who still sins, and that includes every single one of you, if you're a sinner who still sins, what happens when you sin? If this week, as you face the pressures of online school, you face the pressures of loving your spouse and your your family, you face financial pressures, you face the pressures in relationships, and you get it wrong, you don't respond like you're supposed to, what happens then? What happens then? The reality is that you are loved, you are forgiven. You are absolutely forgiven of your sins. The pressure is off in terms of God loving you and God fastening his grace to your life. Jesus died on the cross. Why? Not so that you would feel more pressure, but so you would rest and receive the grace that is in him. And I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you as you run down this path, this this muddy path of 2020. We often have our head down. There are areas of the path that are washed out. They're hard to run on. I want to challenge you to look up and see the grace and the glory of the gospel that never changes, that is true over you and in your life in this moment. And I want to close with one final point. Why why did Jesus do this? Third point this morning is he did it for the joy that is set before him. This is where the gospel for us becomes, it's already hard for us to understand, right? Everything I just said is hard for us to comprehend. A sinless man, the second person of the Trinity, bearing the iniquity of all of God's people for all of time, going to the cross, going through the wrath absorption of the Father, paying for our sin. It's hard for us to understand, to get our minds around. But then try to get your mind around this. Why did Jesus do it? He did it for the joy that was set before him. The joy. Now this really, this is something I did not understand until later in my life. Because, and this is so important, because everything I've just said could leave you, as you think about the cross, with a very guilty feeling. You know, when I think about a friend of mine having to suffer because of my sin, that doesn't leave me with happy feelings. It makes me sad. It makes me sad that Jesus had to, to be cursed because of my sin on the cross. And that's a, that, that part of that response is good. Yeah, we, don't, we should feel sad. We should feel, we should want to confess our sin and, and, and turn away from our sin. We don't want to live in sin. But there's an aspect of the cross that should make us joyful. And the only way that we can be joyful is if we can see it because Jesus went to the cross because he was compelled by the joy that was before him. I believe for years that when Christ died on the cross, 
that it was merely transactional. That what got done on the cross is that Jesus in the great exchange that Martin Luther talked about, Jesus got my sin and I got his righteousness and that transaction got accomplished and I'm really, really glad for that transaction that got done between God and me through Christ, okay? But there's an element that really missed my heart, and it's this. Jesus didn't just go to the cross because he wanted to complete a a transaction of justification to pay for my sin. He went to the cross because he loves us. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy of seeing all of the church for all of time, all the people that would look to him and would live and be welcomed back in, welcomed back in from the dominion of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of the Son, whom the Lord loves and whom we have forgiveness of sins and redemption. Think about this. It's hard for us to understand, but think about this. Think about there's a village in a remote tribal region. There's a COVID outbreak in this region. And a team of doctors go in, and a team of scientists have worked so hard on developing these COVID vaccinations. And there's an outbreak going on in this village. It's, it's a serious one. They've heard about it, and it's killing people. And so this team of doctors goes in. They have the COVID vaccine. All they need to do is to convince the people in the village to be, to be vaccinated, to take the vaccine. And they go in, and no one in the village wants to be vaccinated. They don't understand They don't understand what's happening. And yet these doctors have risked their lives in order to get them the vaccine. And after a couple of hours of trying to explain the medicine behind it, still no one is stepping forward. How would the doctors feel? They would feel crushed. They'd feel crushed that they came with this this solution for the disease of these people, and they don't want to respond to it. But then after a while, one man One of the leaders in the village, he steps forward. And the doctor, she walks forward. She's so excited. And she's able to give the vaccination to the leader, one of the leaders of this tribe. And then after he takes the vaccination, the tribe lines up behind him, and they all agree to to take the vaccination. How would the doctor feel then? She would feel overjoyed. Why? Because she went in with the vision of the joy that was set before her, that she would risk her life to save lives by by risking her life and bringing in the very solution these people need that they don't understand but they need to embrace into their lives in order to be healed. She would be overjoyed, overjoyed at the prospect that, that this man and the rest of the village now will be saved from being sick and potentially dying of covid It was the same for Christ, for the joy set before him. He went to the cross. He went for the joy set before him that we, that you and I, if you're watching live stream, if you're here today in person, that we would not just think about embracing the gospel. We would not just look at him on the cross and wonder what it might be like in order to believe in him. He went for the joy set before him of seeing people saved, of seeing people saved from their sin. He didn't bear our iniquity, have the Father's wrath poured out on him, abandoned there for a moment, put into exile. He didn't pay for our sin just because he wanted to get something done that we wouldn't take advantage of. He went for the joy, the prospect of a whole 
world of people that would see what he has done and put their hope in him, put their hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The difference between that and just mere transaction, the mere transaction of justification, is you miss on the relational piece, that Jesus wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to merely believe the theology. He wants you to love him. He wants you to embrace him and what he has done into your life. In Luke 15, there are three parables. They're famous parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep. There's a parable of the lost coin. There's the parable of the lost son. There's one theme that runs throughout the parables, and it's this theme. It is the theme of joy. And you might miss it if you don't read it very carefully. We also don't really know what to do with joy sometimes, and so we just gloss over it. But when the sheep is found, the shepherd rejoices. When the coin is found, the woman rejoices. And when the son is found, the father rejoices, and he throws a party for the son. I remember a sermon I heard several years ago by Thabiti and Wabile about this, where he wanted us and he implored us to understand that if you don't understand that God is a God of joy, then you don't know who God is. Because God is a God of joy. He went to the cross for joy. For the joy that was set before him. He went for the joy of seeing sheep brought back into the fold of coins that were lost being found. And of sons that were lost. Sons that may be lost because of living in crazy sin, or sons that may be lost because they're living in self-righteous dependence on themselves. Whatever you, whatever you face, he welcomes you back in, and he throws a party. He throws a party every time. The angels rejoice in heaven. <clears throat> they rejoice in heaven every time there is a sinner who repents. Jesus went to the cross not so that we would have a solution for sin that's 70% effective or 90% effective or 95% effective if it's kept in the exact right conditions and transported all over the world in exactly the right way. He went to the cross so we'd have a solution for sin that's 100% effective for anyone who trusts him and embraces him by faith. And he invites us into his joy. Listen, there is no depth that you can sink to this year. There's no amount of mud on the trail that you can face this year. There's no amount of relational brokenness. There's no amount of hardship you can face that Jesus has not gone there himself. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize what good news that is? Is that we serve a God who didn't just come to earth. He came and he experienced all of the misery of this life, even to death on a cross. So you could never say to him, you don't understand what I'm going through. The fact is, is that he does understand. And he didn't just understand, he died, he was raised to new life, and he gives you now this opportunity to trust him. If you've never trusted him before, you can do that right now. Very simply, you can just say, I believe in you. I believe the gospel by faith. I believe that through your death on a cross, I am forgiven of my sins. I believe it. I believe you love me. Amen. That's really it. If you're a Christian and you've already believed in Jesus before, you have the opportunity today to believe again. You might have been tempted this year to think 
that God has forgotten about you, that maybe now you've faced something that Jesus himself doesn't even understand. There is, maybe there's a depth that you've gone to that you don't think Christ has gone there himself. Well, he has. And he now offers you redemption and grace. I encourage you to recognize that even as you're running down this trail, that if you're looking down, it looks like mud and muck and just a washed out mess. This canopy of grace is still overshadowing you. It's still true. The gospel is true. Put your hope in Christ today. Hope in him. When you can't hope in anything else, he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can trust in you. Lord, when all else is lost, when we feel blown and tossed on the, storm, on the seas because of the storm, you are with us. When we walk through the valley, the shadow of death, you are with us. And that's not just metaphorical. You really walk through the valley of the shadow of death so that we could really fear no evil because you do comfort us with your grace. I pray that we would rest in your sovereign grace, Lord, that we would trust in you. Lord, when we have a hard time hoping in anything else, when we can't hope in anything else, Lord, help us to hope in you. Lord, I thank you that you did this for the joy that was set before you. Help us to share in your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together. Let's respond as we sing Jesus Paid It All.
Jesus made it the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours today, world without end. Go in the peace of the gospel. Amen.